right, well today we are, we're continuing uh, our series, and uh, so if you're new here, you may not know this, but inside your program is a, uh, a green and white note sheet that we use every week, and so definitely want to uh, pull that out because you'll need that as usual today, and if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here in, in your house, your place, um, underneath your, your name, your leadership, the authority of your spirit, the authority of your word. And Father, we just, we are reporting for duty. We are coming, King Jesus, under your leadership and saying we're here for you. Uh, we want to be transformed. We want to please you. Uh, we want to make you uh, happy and pleased with what's happening in our life, how we're carrying out your mission through our lives. Uh, we want to become the people we are created to be. And so we're here today. Listen, we pray your spirit will be speaking loud and clear to each of us according to our need and that we in turn would be quick to listen and follow. And we pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today in a dark room, and he's been there pondering the past for some time. He's not really sure how to share this story. Uh, in fact, he's not even sure he understands it. As he sits there in this darkened room, his mind is drifting back almost 15 years to an amazing experience that he had that was just absolutely life-changing, and not only life-changing, but, but changed his entire perspective on all of life. And this experience was so profound, um, it was so life-changing, um, and at the time, it was so immersive that to this day, he doesn't fully understand exactly what he experienced. And in those 15 years since then, there's been very few times where he's shared it, at most with some closest friends. It's not the sort of experience that you can put into words, and even if you could, he knows it's not appropriate. It's not an experience he was seeking. It's not an experience that he was pursuing. But it's radically shaped his whole life. But as he sits today in that darkened room, what he's pondering is how to put the inexpressible into words. Because he's come to the place where he's convinced that though it's so hard to describe, that because of what's at stake, he needs to do what he has chosen not to do for the last 15 years, which is do his best to share at least what he can, because he, he's afraid of what will happen if he doesn't. Well, today, we are continuing this series that we've been in the last few weeks that is called Metamorphosis Transformed by Truth. And if you're brand new here, or this is maybe your first time, uh, this, uh, this series is really, I like to describe it as the third season in a longer running series, like a TV show called Metamorphosis. And uh, this longer series is based on a letter that was one of the letters in our New Testament, uh, that kind of the, the second half of our Bible. 
Um, it is, it's a letter that's written from one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul, or we call him the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of Jesus followers that he actually led many, if not most of them, to the Lord about five or six years before. Um, and they live in a major metropolitan city, one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire, uh, in the southern tip of Greece. And so in this third and final season of this series, Paul is addressing an issue in this letter we call his second letter uh, to Corinthians. He's addressing uh, an important issue. A challenge has arisen in the church where some, some new teachers have come into Corinth. Um, they, they have infiltrated the church and they're, they're introducing a very dangerous message to this congregation. Paul's 300 miles away. He's not there to step in and correct them. And, uh, and so this, this message is dangerous. We don't know all the specifics of it, but we know that Paul describes as they're introducing a different Jesus, a different Holy Spirit, a different gospel. It's a very serious situation. And the problem is, instead of the church recognizing this is the wrong message, they're loving it because these new leaders are very gifted. They're very charismatic. They're, they have great resumes. They, they uh, are making great claims about supernatural experiences and visions that they've had. And so instead of discerning that, they're buying in. And so on top of that, these new leaders, uh, they're not just promoting themselves, they're also undercutting Paul. And so in this situation, 300 miles away, Paul feels forced to do something he would never in a million, want to, a million years want to do, that he feels like he has to jump in and compare resumes, compare credentials, uh, just as a way to kind of slow down this church from going over the waterfalls. So he recognizes this is a very foolish thing to do. This is not how you should lead, by promoting yourself. But he feels because of the, the danger they're in, he has no choice. And so last week, we started this section of chapter 11 that starts in the middle of chapter, verse 16, where, where Paul uh, enters into a section that we call the fool's speech. Scholars call it the fool's speech, where he's comparing his credentials with their credentials. And today, we're going to wrap up that fool's speech as he kind of brings it full circle. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And there in your note sheet, you have a section called Metamorphosis, the Trip and the Thorn. And so uh, he starts off in verse 1, says, I must go on boasting. So he's been uh, boasting, uh, kind of bragging about his credentials. And he feels foolish doing this. He feels like it's ridiculous. And that's why he says, although there's nothing to be gained. And so he says, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. So if you were here last week, you remember this, that as Paul begins to compare his credentials with theirs, he starts by comparing his heritage. They're Jews, so am I. I've got an amazing heritage. Uh, he, then he goes on to the sufferings and shows how he has suffered so much for Jesus over the years, more than they have. And then he moves on to the next category of just hardships and how much he's worked harder for Jesus to advance the cause. And then he finished up with this dramatic story uh, where he was, had to escape the authorities in the ancient city of Damascus by being lowered over the wall, the huge city wall in a basket to escape. So now we're moving into this final category of comparison, which is visions and revelations of the Lord. 
Now, the one thing we know about the Corinthian church is they were really big into the supernatural. God had blessed them, blessed them with amazing spiritual gifts, especially very super, the ones that are obviously supernatural. So they're really big into prophecy and tongues and visions and revelations. And so these new teachers have come in and they're claiming to have these amazing supernatural experiences. And the Corinthians, as you would expect, are very taken with that. And so the Apostle Paul has to do something he doesn't feel comfortable doing. He has to share one of his supernatural visions and revelations, and it's an amazing one. Um, But the fact is, he feels extremely awkward doing this, because this is a very personal experience. You're going to get the the feeling that he, he has very likely never shared this publicly before, but he feels because the danger is that he has to measure, kind of take his experience and put it up against theirs. And so because he feels so awkward about this, he's going to tell the story in third person. So you, you see athletes, athletes that do this today, or every once in a while Paul will talk about themselves in third person, right? And so Paul is going to do that, but not because he has a big head, but because he wants to distance himself. The thing is, is that Paul, Paul doesn't want them to follow him because he's had this amazing experience. That's the whole point. You shouldn't follow leaders because they have amazing spiritual gifts or claim to have amazing spiritual experiences. His point in 1 Corinthians was that there's no connection between spiritual giftedness and spiritual maturity. Those are completely different categories. And so if you follow someone just because they're very gifted or they have amazing spiritual experiences, um, that's a huge mistake. And so Paul doesn't want them to follow anyone because they're amazing gifts or they're amazing experiences. And he doesn't want them to follow him because of that. He said, I don't want you to follow me uh, based on anything other than the message I bring and the life I live. That's how you should measure spiritual leaders. The message they bring and the life they live. And so Paul is very reticent. He doesn't want them to think more highly of him than he ought just because he had this amazing experience. And yet at the same time, he feels compelled to share it, to protect them because these leaders are basing so much on it. And so he's going to share a story with us. He's going to share a story of this amazing experience that he had 14 years ago. And this takes us back to the story we started the day with. We started the day with the story of this man in a darkened room, reflecting back on experience that happened almost 15 years ago. And it was so powerful, and it was so immersive to this day, he doesn't fully understand everything that happened. But what he does know, it was absolutely life-changing and it led to a life-changing perspective. So over the last 15 years, he's not really talked about this. I want you to think about this. He spent a year and a half with the Corinthians when he first came there, and he never told them about this amazing experience. It's not the sort of thing he wants to talk about. It's very awkward, but he feels compelled, and so he's going to share this experience, and so this is what he's going to share, that 14 years ago, so he's, he's not shared this for 14 years. 14 years ago, and which would put it about 42 or 43 AD. So that would put it about maybe, let's guess about maybe seven or eight years after he came to Christ. But, but maybe about six years 
before he went on his first missionary journey recorded in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13. So fairly new believers still, but this is an amazing experience. He says that one day, like out of the blue, in the Greek what it says is I was snatched. So apparently not looking for this, you know, not this out of the blue. He said I was snatched and I was taken into the presence of God. Now he's going to describe the presence of God in two ways. He's going to describe it as the third heaven, which is a Jewish way of talking about the presence of God. He'll also describe it as paradise. Remember when Jesus was on the cross in Luke 23, and the thief next to him said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you remember that? And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Another way to describe the presence of God. So Paul says that I was snatched away, and suddenly I found myself in the presence of God, in the third heaven. And he said, uh, he said it was such a powerful and immersive experience that to this day, I do not know if I was physically there or just spiritually there. It was like virtual reality. I couldn't tell. And uh, he, said, he said, and the things I saw, and especially the words I heard, were amazing. In fact, his, he'll say, they were inexpressible. I, I can't even begin to tell you. Like, I was brought in the presence, the glory of God. I can't even begin to explain that. He said, but I couldn't tell you if I wanted to because I was expressly told you can't tell what you see and hear. He said, so I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. No. So, so what's going to happen? He's going to describe this experience, but he's not going to tell us what he saw or what he heard. But the reason he's telling us this is because, not because just of what happened in that experience, which he needs to, to put out there to compare his experience to the fault, these false teachers, but the reason he's telling us this is not because of the experience, because of what he learned after the experience that was so life-changing. So with that as an intro, let's keep going. And so in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I must go on boasting, and although there's nothing to be gained, this is ridiculous, I'll go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. The next category of comparison. I know a man. So here he goes, third person. I know a man. Now I have to admit, I've done this on times. There's been times, not very many, not many times, but there's been times when I've, I've, I've shared an illustration and I say, you know, I knew a guy one time, and it's really me, right? That's very rare. It's happened about twice here at Ronke P. But for whatever reason, there's something you've got a great illustration, and you just don't feel like it's appropriate for whatever, for a reason. Sometimes because it makes you look too good. Same reason he doesn't want to share it. Like, you know, so, um, so anyway, he says, I know a man. I know a man in Christ, which is a way of saying a Christian. He said, I know a man in Christ um, who 14 years ago, now you, and here's the thing, he's going to share it in third person, but the farther we go in, the more it's going to become obvious it's him. And so I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Again, in the Greek, it's snatched away, like very dramatic. He says, now whether it was in the body or out of the body, I, I don't really know. God knows. Uh, and I know that this man, uh, just to be clear, whether it's in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, God knows. Did y'all get that? He doesn't know. All right. <laughs> he was caught up in a paradise, and he heard inexpressible things. 
Things that no one is permitted to tell. And uh, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except for my weaknesses. And we'll learn why in a minute. He said, but even if I should choose to boast about this amazing experience, I would not be a fool like these other leaders because I'd be speaking the truth. If I did boast about it, um, I, at least it wouldn't, I wouldn't be a fool because I'm telling the truth. But here, I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Right? I, you should evaluate leaders by what they say, their message, and what they do, their lives. You shouldn't evaluate them because some amazing experience. Verse seven, or because they're surpassingly great revelations. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming what? Conceited. So it's interesting. We talked last week about humility is a path to freedom. That if we want to be used by God, we have to be that sail that catches the wind. That, that requires a posture of humility, of dependence. God saw that there's a danger in this. He had given Paul this amazing experience, but there was a danger this would go to his head. Paul, God, God saw that. And so he said, to protect Paul, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, this is pretty fascinating. Uh, I want to break this down here, this one verse down, because there's four things that are extremely powerful for understanding where we're going today. Uh, number one, let's talk about this thorn in his flesh. From the beginning of church history until now, there have been innumerable theories about what this thorn in the flesh is. The reality is, we don't know. And part of the reason is that Paul is being very coy in the way he describes it. I want you to think about this. If I came up to you and you said, hey, how's your week? It's been horrible. Oh, really? What's wrong? I've got this, man, thorn in my flesh. What would you say? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Pull it out. Yeah. Uh, like, what would you say? You'd say, what do you mean? Right? You, I wouldn't just go, I thought you'd say, oh, yeah, I hate that when that happens. You'd say, like, what do you mean? Uh, he's not being overly clear here. And you get the sense as you go on, he likes it this way. He doesn't want to give you the details. So let's break this thorn in the flesh. First of all, let's talk about the word thorn. And in the, in the Greek, which the word itself is not important, but in the Greek, the word thorn can be translated, you know, thorn, or it can be translated splinter. It can be translated like a stake, like you drive a stake in the ground, right? So um, uh, also the flesh, what's the flesh mean? Well, Paul uses the word flesh in a wide variety of ways. Sometimes he uses it to talk just about our physical bodies are made of flesh. Uh, but other times, as you know, he uses the word flesh to describe our fallen human nature, our lower nature, right? Like the sins of the flesh or, or like uh, the works of the flesh. And so uh, he doesn't say which way he's using it here. And so as a result of this, thorn in the flesh is very mysterious. So let me give me like three of the major uh, guesstimates. Like, you know, scholars argue over this. Three of the major theories. Uh, the first one is it's some sort of physical pain. It's some sort of physical pain. It's illness. 
Um, maybe it's problems with his eyes. We know from Galatians he may have eye issues. But some sort of, uh, uh, you know, painful experience in his physical body. Okay? A second theory would be that it's some sort of spiritual or psychological pain, emotional pain. Uh, in other words, this, this will be taking the thorn in the flesh to refer to the, your lower sinful nature. Maybe it's an ongoing temptation. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's something that's kind of an ongoing, like spiritual, some kind of spiritual attack of some sort. Uh, a third theory is that it's some sort of, it's a, it's a person or it's a group of people. Like, you know, like you may talk about someone, like, yeah, they, that guy is such a pain in the neck, right? Then in a similar way that Paul's referring to a, a group of opposition. Like, for example, uh, when Paul would start a new church, he'd lead people to Jesus, and then after he would leave, often in the New Testament, a group of what we call Judaizers, so people who believe in Jesus but uh, have a different take on how salvation works, uh, they would come in and try to mess with his work and it caused him lots of problems. So some scholars think that's what he's talking about. The thorn in his flesh would be like, kind of like these leaders at Corinth, these false leaders that have come in. But the, what I want you to catch is we don't really know. There's really no way to know what it is. You could argue one way or another. I think there are better answers than others, but there's no unanimity among scholars what he's talking about. Uh, number two, I want you to notice that, that one thing that's interesting is that this thorn in the flesh is tied to Satan, a satanic attack. Look what it says. It says in, in the middle of verse seven, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of whom? Satan. Yeah, Satan. And so, um, so whatever this thorn was, whatever this pain was, Satan was the delivery service, right? That Satan was the UPS of the pain. The federal, at FedEx, let's give equal time, but uh, FedEx of the pain, that, that Satan was the one delivering the pain. Do you see that? There's a thorn of the flesh, but it's by a messenger of Satan, so that there apparently, uh, the, the, uh, as you break it down, this word for messenger is the Greek word angelos, which is the word for angel, right? Messenger, angel, it could be human, could be spiritual. But it says it's a messenger of Satan. Uh, so it sounds like a demonic spirit is delivering this pain. Very interesting. So this reminds me in the Old Testament of the, 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 uh, the account of Job. Remember when, when, uh, when Satan came to, to God to test Job? And we won't get into that whole thing. But God gave him permission for, for reasons we won't get into. But he gave him uh, permission, and so Satan brought pain into Job's in a wide variety of ways, destroying his property, his land, his family, and then and eventually his health. And so, um, so, so Satan was the delivery system there as well. A uh, third thing I want you to notice is that this was extremely painful. Notice it says, as we keep reading, he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to what? torment me. It's a very strong word, and strong in Greek, too. It's in, the, in Greek, uh, uh, other translations will be uh, to hit me, like to, to hit me with a fist, uh, to beat me up, like being, uh, going through a beating. Um, that, that this is a very violent word. And interestingly, this word to torment is in present tense in Greek, which indicates ongoing action. So it wasn't just a one-time thing, apparently. It sounds like it was more of a reoccurring or ongoing condition. And then the last thing I want you to notice is that this was for Paul's good. 
Notice how the verse starts out in verse 7. Uh, because of the surpassing great revelations, I was, uh, in order to keep me from being conceited. And so this, this ultimately was something God was allowing in his life, although Satan was involved. As we've been talking about spiritual warfare in this series, that Satan is involved, he's a delivery system, and yet God is over the whole thing and using this for Paul's good. Isn't this whole thing interesting? It's like really, really fascinating. And so uh, let me ask you a question. When you're going through something extremely painful in your life, what do you do? Like everyone's really afraid to answer this. Like, like oh no, he's gonna get us, right? Last night, it was so funny. Uh, the first chance I heard this one, dun, 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 it was like, cry, complain, pray. It was like, yeah, usually in that order, right? Uh, it was like, yeah, we're, we're the church at Rocky Peak. We're, we're close to G. We cry, we complain, then we pray. Yeah, it's a, but, hey, but at least we're authentic, right? That's like, that's like, we may not be there yet, but we're authentic, right? So, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, what, you, you know, it's not a trick question. Hey, when you're going through something extremely painful in your life, what do you do? Like, you go to the Lord and you ask him to remove it, right? And that's a good thing to do because the reality is that's often what God wants to do. He wants to heal us. He wants to rescue us. And that's a great thing to do. And so that's what Paul did. And, of course, Paul's an expert at this. When it comes to prayer, he got an A. He's the top of his class, right? When he prays for people, they get healed. When he prays for people, demons flee. When he prays for things, miracles happen. But this time he prays and nothing happens. In fact, he keeps on praying and nothing happens. And so in verse 8, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, or I asked the Lord, the Greek, I asked the Lord to take it away from me. So remember, remember Jesus in Gethsemane? Three times goes before the Lord, hey, would you remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours. Remember, three times. Uh, so three seasons of prayer uh, where Jesus was intense on his face, uh, sweating blood, and Hebrews tells us crying out with tears, begging God to take it away, but three times God said no, and this is very similar. Now, we don't know whether Paul, his three times were like Jesus happened all at one, you know, one, one uh, same time, like one evening or one day, or whether this is like three seasons of prayer when this, re say, reoccurring illness or whatever it was, uh, came back to his life, and he, so maybe like, Maybe it was over like three different months. Or we, we don't really know. But three times he asked the Lord, and the Lord basically says no. And he says, uh, verse 8, but he said to me, um, uh, my grace, remember grace has this wide semantic range. We've seen it throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. In this case, it seems to, to be using, uh, speaking of God's power, his presence, so my grace or my power, my presence is sufficient for you for uh, my power is made perfect in what? In, in weakness. So, so God says, um, Paul, this time I'm not answering. Many other times I have, but in this particular case, um, this is something you need for your growth. And, and so, uh, Paul, through this, I want you to learn an important lesson um, Paul's been teaching this all through the book of 2 Corinthians, but now we learn how he learned this lesson 14 years earlier. And he said that 
that the reality is in your life that um, if I want to turn the power knob up to the right, the way my power is perfected or brought to full strength in your life is through weakness. It's what we've learned all through this series, that in times of weakness, in times of pain, we press into God. In times of weakness is when we seek him. In times of weakness is when he reveals himself in new ways. It's in times of weakness we learn to rely on him and his power. It's in times of weakness, like Jesus in Gethsemane, he sur- we learn how to surrender our will to his will. It's in times of weakness where we are, uh, experience his presence and power in our life so we can be a source of encouragement and power in the lives of others. Comfort, as Paul said in chapter one of Second uh, Corinthians, we can, we can be a, a conduit of God's comfort to others in their hard times. And so here Paul says, this is where I learned this le- lesson that the power of Jesus is actually revealed in my life, often in times through times of weakness. And so he says, um, therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. This is where Paul learned the lesson. This is where his whole perspective changed. Remember in Corinth, they're saying, how can you be an apostle of Jesus? You're always arrested, you're always beat up, your life's a mess. And Paul said, no, uh, that doesn't, that, that's how the power of God has been revealed. He's told us the whole book that. He says, this is where I learned the lesson. I had this amazing experience of God followed by this thorn in the flesh, and God used this to shape my whole understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how God works in and through our lives. And so he says, uh, Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why for Christ's sake, notice that, you may want to underline that, for Christ's sake, this is not just for Paul's sake, it is for Paul's sake, but it's not just for Paul's sake, it's for Christ's sake, for the sake of his kingdom, Paul says, that I delight, and underline that, I delight I rejoice, I embrace. And look what he's delighting in. He says, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships, like when I'm arrested or thrown in prison or when I go through sleepless nights or when I'm lost at sea or when I'm whipped five times or when I'm beaten with rods three times, or when I have to be lowered over the, the, uh, the city wall in a basket to escape, or when I go hungry, I, I've learned to rejoice and to embrace these times when that is part of God's assignment for me. Now, if I can get out of it, I pray. And there's times where God will deliver me supernaturally. But There's other times when he doesn't, and I've learned if he doesn't, there's a good reason for it. And he's looking out for my best, and so I've learned to embrace these times because the reality is through these times, I'm transformed, and I become a conduit of his power to a dying world. So I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties because what I've learned is when I'm weak, That's when I am strong, right? So powerful passage. 
And what I want to do today as we continue this series talking about this relationship between truth and transformation, I want to highlight two big picture principles that flow out of this passage for our lives about how transformation works in our life, how the role truth plays, and then uh, come back at the end and ask two very pointed questions, challenging questions for, for all of us as followers of Jesus. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Metamorphosis, Two Key Truths. So here we go. The first one goes like this, that God knows how we grow. In other words, for your life and my life, he knows what we need to grow. We need times of encouragement. We need times of power. We need times of the presence of God. We need times when his voice is clear. We, we need times of encouragement when prayers are answered, but we also need hard times. We need times where we're not sensing his presence. We need times where we're going through times of pain, times when we're praying and God says no, that God knows what we need to grow. And what I love about this passage, I think it's such an amazing passage, is that what we get in this passage, it's like Paul is opening up a window to his soul and he's talking about his own personal growth in a way that he would never talk about it outside of the circumstance with the Corinthians. Like what we're reading in this chapter is we're, we're, we're reading from his personal journal two of the most life-changing experiences he's had since he's come to Jesus that have completely shaped him, two experiences that under normal circumstances he never would have shared, except for these losers. <laughs> so praise God, he works all things for good. Amen. Now, so... The first experience is this powerful, positive experience of being taken into the presence of God and seeing and hearing things that few human beings have ever experienced while living in this world. Um, and it's just powerful experience. And then, and then after he sees this amazing experience in the presence of God, God says, oh, by the way, you can't tell anyone. Now, I don't know if you have people in your life who've done this to you. I've got something amazing to tell you, but you can't tell anyone. <laughs> it's irritating. Good to know it started with Jesus, right? <laughs> that Jesus gives Paul this incredible experience, amazing, life-changing in the presence of God. And then he says, you can't tell anyone. And as I've pondered that, I've asked myself, why would he do that? Like, why would Jesus give him this amazing, like, this is not normal. Like, Ezekiel was brought in the presence of God, had amazing visions. And he came back and told us all about it. We don't know what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> Got the wheel within the wheels and the eyes and the wheels, you know. But it's like, it's amazing. Like, you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, reminds me of uh, the old hippie days. But anyway, uh, uh, yet not personal experience, I'm saying, you just heard about these, these things, yeah, uh, no, yeah, didn't inhale. No, uh, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, but Ezekiel was brought in the presence, he had this amazing thing, he sees uh, Jesus on the throne of God with the cherubim, and he's not told you can't tell. 
Daniel has these amazing experiences and they, the ancient of days comes and he takes his, and Daniel can tell. Isaiah is brought into the temple of God and he sees God who is high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple and there's the smoke and the incense and the cherubim crying, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah can tell, but Paul can't tell. And it makes you wonder, like ask the question, why can't he tell? And once you ask the question, I think the answer becomes obvious. The answer is, this experience wasn't for us. It was for Paul. And for Paul alone. That God knew how to grow Paul. He knew he was asking him to do an amazingly difficult thing, to take the message of Jesus into a pagan Roman empire where the message had never gone before, where the message of the cross would seem foolish. And he knew Paul that would suffer perhaps unlike any other apostle. He knew it was incredible, and he knew that in order to to succeed, Paul needed to see the glory of God. This is why, back in chapter four, He can say this remark, this amazing statements. Remember the five times whipping, the three times rod, the shipwrecks, the imprisonment? And you remember that list? And remember what Paul said back in chapter four? He said, I do not consider the sufferings of this present time even worth comparing with the glory that's coming. Well, now we know why. God knew how to grow his apostle. He knew what he needed to grow. But then I want you to think of the second page we pull out of his journal. This, this, this page where he tells about this very intensely personal and private experience. So once again, we would never, we don't hear about any we would never have heard about. Where after this experience, amazing in the presence of God, Paul experiences this incredibly painful thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. And it's so painful. He goes to Jesus and says, there's a satanic attack going on here. There's a messenger of Satan attacking me. And would you take this away? I'm being tormented. And Jesus said, no. Think how many times Jesus has said yes to Paul. Do you remember we were talking about Paul a couple weeks ago in Ephesus where there was so much power coming out of him, just his handkerchief or aprons would be taken to people and demons would flee. Now in his own life, he's being attacked by a demon and Jesus says, no. Let me ask you something. No show of hands, rhetorical question. But can you relate to this? Many times in your life, you've asked God to intervene, answer prayers, rescue, and he has. And that's beautiful. It's what we should always do is seek him for answers. But have you had times in your life, maybe it's not to the extent of the Apostle Paul and the intensity of this experience, but have there been times in your life where there's something that's causing you great pain? Uh, Maybe it's a physical illness that won't be healed. Maybe it's a cancer that's not going away. Maybe it's a relationship 
that is so painful? Maybe it's a longing for a relationship. You're single and you've been praying for years to God bring you a spouse and, and God has not done that. It's just so painful. and You've gone before him time and time again. You can't understand. It seems like a high and holy thing to want. You've listened to Jesus. You've, you've turned down uh, dates or interests from other people that weren't following Jesus. You've been faithful. You've been true. And yet he's not answered. Um, maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a job situation that's so painful and you want out of it so badly and you prayed for deliverance and there's just no way out. Maybe it's a spiritual issue. There's a temptation in your life that you just can't seem to get rid of and you prayed so many times, God, would you just take this away? Um, maybe it's a, a, a lost son or daughter a father, a mother, you just pray for them to come to Jesus over and over, and so far they haven't come. But it's something that causes you so much pain, and you've seen God answer you so many times, but in this time, at least to this date, he said no. These are hard things, aren't they? These are hard things. And that's where Paul was at. And I want you to notice this. The reason God didn't answer Paul had nothing to do with a lack of faith. There's no lack of faith here. Paul was full of faith. He would prayed for a million things, crazy things, and God had answered. But this was, about, this was about Paul. It was about God loving Paul so much that he was willing to let him go through the pain to protect him. Like he knew that to grow, Paul needed this amazing experience of heaven, but he also knew that, that this amazing experience would leave him vulnerable to pride. And so God allowed this pain in his life to keep Paul in a place where he could stay connected to Jesus, connected to his power, where he could continue to be transformed and be a, a conduit of lo God's love and power to the world. Like he knew what he needed to grow. And this is what I want to suggest for your life and my life. He knows exactly what we need to grow. And do you know something? What you need to grow and what I need to grow may be completely different things. And the reason is not just because we're wired differently, but because we have different assignments in our life. You have been chosen for a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. And that purpose can only be fulfilled with a certain curriculum a certain set of experiences. And God knows what you need to grow. So he knows there's times in our life we need to be close, we need those mountaintop experiences. We're brought into the presence that worship is awesome, the word is alive, our life group is hitting on all cylinders. God is answering our prayers. Life is serendipitous. We see the work of God, that his voice is clear, that we need those times to grow. But he also, we also need those times in the wilderness. We need those times like David being chased by Saul. We need those times, Moses, 40 years in the wilderness after he slayed the Egyptian. And we need those times like Israel going out in the heart. We, we need both and. If we're gonna grow, if we're gonna be transformed, we need both. 
And what I want to encourage you is that God knows exactly what you need to grow. And when you go through hard times where you seek his deliverance and God says no, it is not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does. And the reality is, is we often think we know better from God what we need. I can't imagine Paul saying it first, like before Jesus comes back, it's clear with him. I can't imagine him going, yeah, I, I can, here's what I can imagine. Hey, no, God, this is okay. I've got this covered. I promise I won't get a big head. I might have before, but now that you've told me, I won't. So could you just take the pain away and I'll just remember this. But God says, no, trust me, you actually need this. And if I were to take this away, you would not grow and you would not carry out my purpose for your life. You would go down. And I love you too much for that. God knows what we need to grow. The second principle is, is that God knows how the kingdom grows. Now, if you were to ask me how to grow the kingdom of God, I would not do it God's way. We've got a new movement, a new movement of Jesus right? It's first century, pagan Rome. Um, and so if I was going to do this, I would probably give my leaders superhuman strength. Right? So you come to arrest them and they just disappear. Like, catch me if you can. <laughs> uh, you put them in prison, they're just gone. Um, you, you tie them to a stake to whip them, and you whip them, and the whips break on their back. Just boom, boom. Like, this is how I would do it, right? I would say, like, um, like I would make these leaders, like, super amazing, powerful, gifted speakers, uh, a lot of miracles, uh, never catch them. Like, wow, God must be with that person. And you know what? That's exactly what the Corinthians thought. Think with me, this is how the whole book has got, Paul, how can you be an apostle of Jesus? How can the resurrection power of Jesus be in you? How can the Holy Spirit be? Your life is always a mess. You're always arrested. You're always being beaten. You're always being whipped. You never have enough money. Your clothes look horrible. You're emaciated. You're not a very good speaker. How can God be with you? And Paul says, no, you don't understand this. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And in order to experience the resurrection power, I have to share the cross of Jesus. And so he said back in chapter four, he said, we as apostles, we always bear in our body the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus can be revealed. You remember that? And so he said, so in other words, the way the power is, sure there are times where Paul walks out of a prison with an angel, there are times like that, but those are more the exception that normally the way the power is revealed is where you keep beating this guy, arresting this guy, uh, humiliating this guy, a near-death experience, but you can't stop him. He's like the Energizer Bunny. He just keeps popping up. It's like those bozos used to hit, and he's going down, you know, he just, he can, and you just can't, like, he can, like, who can do that? 
Like, what is, like, who can do that? What kind of love would motivate someone to take that kind of hit, hit and keep on ticking? Kind of like the Timex, you know, apostle. It's like you, you just knock him down and he keeps getting back. Like, how is that possible? And Paul says it's possible because of the resurrection power of Jesus in my life. You can knock me down, but you cannot knock me out. Because when you knock me down and I die with Jesus, Jesus resurrects me by his power and I pop back up. And so the power is revealed not because you don't go through hard things. The power is revealed because the way you go through hard things. And he said, and so the kingdom advances because of the resurrection power being evident in our lives as followers of Jesus, not by avoiding hard times, but by the way we come through hard times. And so this leads then to a couple questions in our life. Remember, we're talking about transformation and truth, how those things work together. And so there in your note sheet, metamorphosis, two key questions. Here's the first question. The first question, I think we all have to ask this. I have to ask it, you have to ask it. It's a tough question, but will you pay the price for growth? In, in your life, will you pay the price for growth? Now I want you to think about this. We're coming towards the end of this series that we started 18 years ago. And from chapter one on, from chapter one on, we saw chapter one, we saw chapter four, we saw chapter six, we saw chapter seven, we have seen it time and time again. That one of the big messages of this whole letter is that as followers of Jesus, we are called to share the suffering of Jesus and it's in the suffering that we're transformed and the resurrection power of Jesus is released in our life. That the path of the Christ follower is not one of ease. It's often, there are hard things we will have to go through, but it's in the hard times God meets us. What we've seen over and over and over again is that hard times are one of God's greatest tools of transformation. We've seen it over, chapter one, chapter two, chapter four, chapter six, chapter seven, it's just over and over and over. We have seen this modeled in the life of Paul. It's one of the core truths of this whole series. What we've seen in this series is that it's in the hard times that God reveals himself. It's in the hard times we seek him. It's in the hard times we're transformed. It's in the hard times we learn not to trust ourselves but to trust Christ which that releases from that point on a new power in our life. It's in the hard times that we are changed and become a conduit of his comfort to others. We've seen it time and time again. And so the question is, in your life, will you embrace a new paradigm of pain? We've talked in this today, if we're going to be transformed, we have to be renewed in our minds. There are certain truths we have to get clear on. We talked last week about the truth of humility. It's not pride and self-promotion that leads to freedom, it's humility. That's a big picture of truth. We talked earlier about spiritual warfare and how the enemy's number one way to destroy us is deception. We have to get that truth locked in. 
There's certain truths as followers of Jesus we have to get clear on if we're going to be transformed. And one of the most important is how we look at pain. I don't like pain. You don't like pain. Paul didn't like pain. He prayed to get out of the pain. You pray to get out of it. I pray to get out of it. And many times God says yes. But there are times in our life when God says no. And when he says no, it is not because he doesn't love us. It's because he does. And because he is transforming something powerfully in our lives, and he is changing us to carry out God's purpose for our life. And so the question is, will we be willing to pay the price for growth? Are we willing, like Paul, to say, if God says no on an issue, okay, I will embrace that pain as your gift to me, and I will trust you will empower me through the pain, and through this pain, your power will be made perfect, turned up to full volume in my life. The second question is, again, a question for all of us, is will you pay the price for the kingdom to grow? Remember what Paul said? He said, therefore, for Christ's sake, remember that? For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in persecutions. In other words, it wasn't all about Paul. Paul had come to the place in his life and said, hey, here's the thing. I love Jesus. I want to advance his kingdom. The most important thing in my life is to please him and to advance his name and to carry out his kingdom. That's the most important thing in my life. And so, if I have to go through pain to advance his kingdom, I will delight in that. Now, I'm not asking you to delight in that. Uh, I don't delight in that. In my life, I'm just getting ready to, so I'm willing to embrace that. But that's what I'm asking, is that are we willing to pay the price? Like, uh, let, let's, let's say God comes to you and he has a certain assignment for your life. And it's a, it's a hard assignment. It's, it's not an easy assignment. There's an illness that you have that he's not answering your prayers. There's a relationship and you're, you're in a tough marriage and, and, and you really you wish you could run from it. But God is saying, no, I've called you to this and I want you to be faithful to this. And you want to run from that. Now, you're single and... You so much want to be married. And God's saying you cannot run after who the first person that comes. You cannot run after the wrong person. You're in a tough job situation and you've prayed for years for God to get you out of this and he hasn't. And for right now, he said, no, this is where I have you for now. God comes to you and he calls you and says, I want you to take the gospel to a different part of the world. And it's not going to be easy. And God comes, I, I want you to continue to love your mother-in-law, even though she's so difficult. Right? <laughs> that one we can relate to, obviously. Right. <laughs> uh, will you embrace that assignment? Not only for your own change and transformation, which will happen, but will you embrace that assignment for Jesus' name? 
for his kingdom and say like Paul, I'm willing to be persecuted. I'm willing to go through hardship I, because I want it for Christ's sake. I want to be used for his kingdom. You know, this last week I was rereading parts of uh, Rick Warren's great book, The Purpose Driven Life. And he was talking about surrender to the will of God and the tremendous role surrender plays in our growth and transformation. He was talking about Jesus and Gethsemane surrendering to the Father's will. And I put there a brief quote. He says, genuine surrender says, Father, if this problem, this pain, this sickness or circumstance is needed to fulfill your purpose and glory in my life or in another's, please don't take it away. That's the kingdom question. That's the kingdom question. So as followers of Jesus, isn't this the ultimate transformation? That the place where we would come, that we become like Jesus, to where we're not just looking at our own life and our own pleasure, or our own pain, but we come to a place that like Jesus, we would say, if I need to suffer for the sake of others to, re to rescue them, I, I wanna live that life of love. I wanna live a life of love for God and love for others that like Jesus, I am willing to lay down my life and to suffer if required for their sake. That as we grow like that, we are truly being transformed. We are truly becoming like Jesus because that's who he is and that's the gospel. The God who laid down his life out of love for us, not only so we could be forgiven, so that we could be transformed, so we in turn could love others as he has loved us and lay down our lives for them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, this challenging word. Lord, it's just such a, it, it's just such a strong word. It's such a challenging word but just reveals so much of your vision for our life that you've not promised to rescue us from every pain, that sometimes pain is the path to growth, to change, to transformation, and the path to impact. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to embrace those pains that you've allowed in our life, that you've said, no, I will not remove that. This is for your good, that we would trust you, that you know what, it need, what we need to grow, and you know what... It requires your kingdom to grow and that we would trust you and we would learn to accept, to embrace, or even someday to delight in these things for the sake of your name. Father, we thank you for the great truth of this song we're gonna sing, that there is another in the fire. That You'll say that my grace is sufficient. It will carry you through. This will not be easy. It may not be, uh, it will not be pleasant, but I will strengthen you and, and while I'm standing with you, my grace will strengthen you. And there will be another in the fire. And I will be with you every step of the way. And as you trust me in this, the power knob in your life will be turned up as you are transformed and then you become a conduit for my transformation in the lives of others. We pray as we worship, as we bring you our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, we pray you use these to be a place that is transformed by truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Would you stand with me?